Graves episode. <laughs> 109 Adam Graves, exactly. What, what up, baby? Yeah, we're getting into a rhythm of uh, recording after game ones of series and then making predictions, but as we said off the air, uh, we text each other predictions before so we keep each other honest, so you guys know that the predictions we make are accounted for, so we're not using game one for anything other than just a little bit of commentary. I feel like it works out, though, too, like... I mean, listen, guys, we're not fucking spitting chicklets. We're not missing curfew. Um, I, I can't give you a prediction episode. I can't give you a recap. Uh, unfortunately, I have a full-time job. I have kids. I know. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'll try to be a little bit better. But uh, no, like like you said, we keep each other honest. It gives us good standing point in going from there. Uh, jumping right into it, I guess we'll jump in out west uh, the Montreal Canadiens pulling another shocker to shock the world and taking care of the Winnipeg Jets going against the Vegas Golden Knights, who I thought, I thought, yeah, once is, uh, that big red machine or big gold machine got running, they, they took, uh, they took care of Colorado pretty handedly. What'd you think about all that? Yeah. I mean, once Colorado won handily in game one and then they went up two games to none, I was like, it's going to be a short series which obviously was wrong. But then in the back of my mind, it's like, even if Vegas goes on a little bit of a run here, there's no way they're going to win four out of the next five against a team like Colorado. And they just went out and turned on the ignition and fucking ran all over Colorado. And you look at McKinnon, another year where he doesn't get out of the second round. And he voiced a little bit of displeasure after saying, like, he's fucking tired of losing. And in fairness, I mean, you can't blame him. It's not like... He doesn't have the pieces around him. I, I felt like this team was built very good. Uh, there was definitely a lot of depth with the team. Um, this was one of my biggest concerns, and I told you earlier in the year, is that I still feel that Colorado's a little bit too young. Like, they don't know how to win yet. I feel like this loss is heartbreaking, but I also feel like this is now their stepping stone. I think last year with the bubble, everything was a little kind of... Uh, unpredictable a little yeah. awkward in a sense I feel like the bubble is like a mulligan for most teams yeah and, and i and i kind of felt that way with a lot of teams like coming out of it but i feel like this for colorado kind of reminds me of like the bruins in 2010 where they end up losing to philly like four straight but yeah. now for colorado they still have that whole core and nucleus coming back and i feel like now was their time to actually get something done yeah they're approaching the st louis and capitals uh, zone of great regular seasons collapsing in the playoffs or like just not uh, winning a cup and then they face a few years of can this team do it can this core do it they should break up the core and then one year they finally break through with that core so they're approaching that territory i'm not saying that's what's going to happen but for me shocking development when you're playing a team like vegas you need all hands on deck and i know 
the center depth for Vegas isn't the strongest in the league. I, I wouldn't even put it as better than Montreal's, to be honest. But their overall team structure just wears teams down. So you need all four lines going. And getting back to the shocking part, Kadri's eight-game suspension, once again, cost his team in the playoff series because of his absence. That forced everybody to slide up a spot that weakened their depth. And he's the type of guy where, as long as he's straddling that line, would fit in that series against Vegas very well. And again, he's not there. Just like two straight playoffs for Toronto, where he cost himself and Toronto ended up losing to the Bruins in seven games. Goes to Colorado, does the same exact thing. So it's starting to get to the point where is he worth the trouble uh, for the 70-plus games you get in a regular season and the suspension he gets in the playoffs where you have to play shorthanded. And a random question to you about that whole suspension. For me, I was very... I don't want to say caught off guard, but I thought eight games was harsh. I, I thought it was a lot, especially for the playoffs. And knowing that... He has a record, though. But th- this is my point. So with his record, right? So in the... I, I would call it 18 months now he's been in Colorado. He hasn't had any issue in Colorado until that point. Yeah. But yet Tom Wilson only got seven games for fucking putting Brandon Carlos head on a fucking tee and just taking it off. So so I yeah. feel like the, these are the issues just within the league, you know, the league within the league, the problems that the league faces going forward. And uh, I, I thought mean, we always talk it. about that. It's the inconsistency. Some guys that they're too lenient on and then they get blasted for it. And then the next chance they get, they overcompensate and over suspend. And then they get blasted for that. And then they retreat back on a next suspension. There's no, consistency there's no like this is what's going to happen when this happens this this and this there's no track record it's just it's on a whim like we were debating back and forth about that shifley hit Mm -hmm. and like when i watched it live i was like holy shit was that an intent to injure like i sort of first highlight i think yeah the, the kid got hurt and it was a very violent looking hit because shifley was he's a big boy and he was coming down full speed, even though he wasn't shotting into him. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a charge in a way. Um, but after looking at it, one, the kid, I, I hate to blame the victim, quote unquote, but you got to keep your fucking head up, man. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, it was like that hit with, uh, I think it was Matheson against, uh, oh my God. Pedersen in Vancouver in Pedersen's rookie year where he got laid the fuck out and was woozy on a clean hit and just because he was so much smaller than Matheson that the hit looked worse. I think that's kind of what happened here. Shifley got four with no history. Kadri got eight with a little bit of a history. But then you said Wilson, the biggest scumbag in the league, gets no suspension for the Panarin thing, gets seven for the Carlo thing that was a dirty play. There's no rhyme or reason to any of it. No, and the thing with the Shifley one, too, is Shifley's back-checking there. Like, he's trying to prevent a goal, trying to prevent a team to go up two goals. Like, if he stops the puck there and they come out and they have a quick regroup and he fires a puck up ice, they have a chance to tie the game. So, I think all things need to be considered. Um he, he blew him the fuck up, though. Like, holy yeah, fuck. Yeah, that was a violent yeah. hit. And again, the kid's got to keep his head because, like you just described, you're trying to put the team away. 
you're trying to basically end the series at that point. And you're just, oh, I'm going to do like a, not even a tight wraparound. Like he wasn't even cutting to the post. He was just like looping around for the empty net, head down, not expecting like somebody's going to be coming back to rip your fucking head off because they're trying to save their season. Well, what's that? So I, think if he, I think if he was prepared, like if he saw Shifley coming and as he was doing a wraparound, it's hard to describe without like video. But as he was doing a wraparound, he like braced himself and like lifted up his shoulder to like brace for the hit. He wouldn't have fallen to the ice as violently as he did and gotten hurt. What's that song? Let me see a hip swing. Just, <laughs> yeah, uh, you got to pull it out, man. Uh, so I definitely came down for the ledge on that Shifley hit. When I first saw it, I was like, holy fuck, that's dirty. And then it just turned into that was just a confluence of factors of size disparity, the kid not preparing himself or defending himself well, and Shifley coming back to save a season. And now. Um, but bringing it back to the old Kadri Colorado thing, I think what they're lacking is just, like you said, they're especially on the back end, they're really young. Uh, Timmons got some good experience. Graves, I don't know if he's the number one D-man, like, to be honest, to play with McCarr all the time. McCarr's obviously very young. I don't know if they have, like, they don't have the type of team, and it may not hurt them because this is the way the league is evolving. They don't have that lineup that when it's 0-0 in, like, double overtime, you're going to have, like, a Chandler Stevenson score a goal for you. Or you're going to have a Curtis Lazar. Or, you know what I mean? Like, they don't have that lineup that can just grind you down. They, they're the lineup that gets grinded down. And when you're playing a team like Vegas or if Colorado end up playing a team like Tampa or Boston, like, or even the Islanders, like, that's the game plan. So I think they probably should kind of reconfigure their fourth line, add a guy in the third line that's not necessarily a goon, but can get in on a four check, lay some, lay some wood on people. You know what I mean? I, I understand about bringing the meat in. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I still love the meat in the NHL. Um, <laughs> one thing I, I thought about, and I know this is getting off track of Vegas, Montreal, but I was driving home today and it popped into my mind as to why ESPN finally wants the NHL back. And when you look at it, I don't think the NBA has another all-out superstar on their hands like LeBron James. And this isn't up for discussion. I mean, listen, I, I don't like LeBron as much as you don't, but when it comes to absolute superstar in the league yeah. and dominant figure, he's your guy. What about James Harden? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, but now... I mean, they have Curry, but Curry's 33 himself, so... Exactly. So I've, I feel like these guys are now on the back end and on a decline. And as for the ESPN trying to get the next best thing, I mean, you look at the NHL right now and you have McDavid and Matthews and you have all these guys who they can now market just with... Just off an age factor, they're a lot younger than this. It gives you more time with, with a certain way to brand people like i think this is gonna be uh, like life-changing for the nhl I, I think just them being able to be a part of this with espn is gonna be completely different i mean we we've seen austin matthews we've seen the swag that he brings and all that uh, i think this is a great move for them and just for the publicity side of things it's going to change the whole outcome and money and 
everything else for all these guys. No, I agree. And, I mean, it's a little easier when it comes to the NBA to market guys individually because the NBA is a very individual sport, but mm-hmm. also there's no helmet. Like, you see them, yeah, you true. see their face, you can put them on a billboard, people recognize the face. But ESPN also has experience with Major League Baseball, which tailed off the last few years. They can tell by the TV viewership that baseball didn't do a good job of picking up the slack. But I think ESPN's ability to cross-promote. So you have the games themselves, but then you'll have former coaches or like current players appearing on SportsCenter or like some of their other talk debate shows during the afternoon. And their marketing campaign will really help the league grow. Like you said, they have McKinnon, McDavid, Matthews, Marner, McCarr, all these guys that are under 25, like the Kachucks. Like, I think the Kachucks are going to be huge on ESPN for like off ice promos. Like, they're going to be in all those this is Sports Center commercials. <laughs> so, I think it's like you said, it's going to be a big thing for them. And I'm really interested to see how it goes with TNT and Turner Sports. Yeah. So, first like time I over said, there. Sorry for jumping. I just. Uh, I was thinking about LeBron being out sooner rather than later, and I was like, this is why ESPN did that. But the, neither here nor And also, <laughs> one last thing about that, the Wayne Gretzky hire, like, we get it. He's the most recognizable face and name to non-hockey fans or casual fans, but because of his role as the ambassador of the sport, he can never critique anybody. So no, when he's I, in his I, studio, they're going to ask him questions. He's going to go, well, you know, uh, you go... He's a really good, young, talented guy. I'm excited to see what he's going to be doing. To, like, to Tom Wilson hit. You think he's going to be saying, like, that's oh, bullshit. Like, he shouldn't be pulling that crap. Like, as a former star player in this league, like, that would never happen. When I had Marty McSorley flying shotgun, like, that's never going to come out of him. No, it, it, I think, if anything, he should have ended up with a job like Barry Melrose, just kind of going over the games in between – you know, yeah. on Sports Center, I think that would have been a better thing for him, kind of breaking down the game a little bit. Yeah, and then just quickly, because as quickly as the series was, uh, Winnipeg and Montreal, like Carey Price won that series. Like he until last night, even last night he didn't play that poorly. He had that great glove save. Uh, that's the highlight of it. But he basically carried Montreal to the round against Vegas. Winnipeg, I thought. I think the Shifley suspension really fucked them, to be honest, for that four-game sweep. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so, yeah, I was surprised that after pulling off the quote-unquote upset, even though I had Winnipeg winning that series, that they collapsed so quickly against a team like Montreal. But when playoff time, you run into a hot goaltender, as cliche as it is, you can win any any on any given night. So the series against Vegas, I don't expect it to be very long. Like... Carey Price might steal, what, one, maybe two games for them. Uh, but Vegas is too experienced. They're too big. Um, and when you can shut down a team like Colorado, you should have a pretty easier time shutting down the offense of Montreal. So I, at most, I see it going six games, if that. Yeah, I had Vegas in six. Um, funny that you said, like, the experience of Vegas. They've been in the league three fucking years. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's how good they are. Yeah, but, no, it, it's just funny because you looked at how they are and how they're built. Like, I know you weren't as big on Vegas as I was this year. I, I thought no. Vegas was going to have a good year. 
I thought Vegas, well, I predicted Vegas to beat Colorado in that series. Uh, I just think that they're just firing on all cylinders. And for me, the biggest thing will be the next round. And, I, and you know, I don't want to foreshadow, but can Pete DeBoer finally win something in this league? Yeah. Th- that's what I think it comes yeah. down to. It, like, can he outcoach whoever's on the other side? That's that's the TBD because, I mean, he's either getting Cooper or he's getting Barry Trotz. Yeah. <laughs> so Pretty big pretty big order there. Yeah, let's, so good luck. So so that's just my standing on it. Um, Fleury's been great. He's been playing out of his mind. Uh, we discussed that Leonard thing, why they played Leonard in game one of the last one for no fucking reason, and now they can't go back to him after the game nah. that he had. So they're riding with Flower till the end. I like it. Flower's played good for them this year. He's back in the zone. Um, Let me ask you this. If you're mm-hmm. Vegas and you're up three games to one or three games and then against Montreal and your focus kind of in the back of your mind starts shifting to who you're going to face in the final, who do you think they prefer to face? Tampa Bay, where it's basically a, a more experienced replica of the Colorado series, or the Islanders who play a very similar style to them? Ooh, um... That's interesting. I mean, because your D is going to have to be substantial either way because, you know, like you said, the Islanders play a similar game and they're going to be heavy on their D. Like, they're going to beat Petrangelo up. Like, that that would be their number one game plan. And then for the other part, the Islanders, I mean, for the Lightning, is is Petrangelo good enough to be able to cover all those guys? Or is their D... Good enough, enough to yeah. go, yeah, like you get through point, all right, well, now you got Kucherov, now you got Stamkos, now you got Killorn. Like, are they going to be able to successfully make it through games with all the threats that are on the other side of Tampa? So that's... uh Yeah, I think if they were being honest, they'd probably want to face the Islanders just because their defensive game plan would be a little more clear-cut and less dangerous playing a team like the Islanders. Yeah, they would have to counter the Islanders' forecheck and defensive structure, but I think they'd rather have to counter that than have to figure out, okay, Tampa Bay is rolling out their third line and it has a 20-goal score on it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, how do we get past this? Yeah. So, yeah, so I have Vegas in five over Montreal. You have Vegas in six over Montreal. Vegas going to their second Stanley Cup final in their fourth year in the league yep. or third year in the league. Um over on the East, right now the series is one nothing Islanders after a 2-1-1 classic Islanders playoff game over the weekend. Uh, they're playing game two tonight as we're recording, so we don't still don't have the luxury of seeing an either 2-0 lead or a 1-1 lead. I had the Islanders in seven just because it's just at five. Like They played Tampa last year, and they got eliminated, and the Islanders played well in a regular season last year then the shutdown happened and they were kind of disjointed when they came back and they still went on a little bit of a run which is good experience for the young guys but now i didn't expect them to go deep i thought they would lose to the bruins but they effectively shut down pittsburgh they effectively shut down you guys including the perfection line the perfection line got broken up a couple times mm-hmm. in the course of that series and they shut down Tampa in game one and even before the game we made it to predictions I was just like 
it's kind of like the price situation. Tampa Bay's offense, they're going to get one game this series where they win 6-1. Yep. And that's going to be their one game against a team like the Islanders. And then it's going to have to be three wins in a grinded-out, overtime type of situation. And even though they learned from their sweep against Columbus and they came back and they won a cup the next year, Hedman's playing hurt. McDonough's playing hurt. Kucherov is playing hurt. And I don't know if they have the ability to grind out three other wins. I think if they got into a matchup against Colorado, they could handle that more easily. But I don't know if they can grind out three other wins against the Islanders. And I think the Islanders would be very happy if every game entering the third period is tied or a one-goal game, even if they're down one. Also, even if they're down one. Also, if they're down one. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where my mindset's there. And I also think... I, I mean, I fucking despise the Islanders, but I still think it'd be cool to see a New York team, especially a team like the Islanders that haven't been in a final since the 80s. Uh, just like a different look to the Stanley Cup final, a different look to the national audience instead of seeing the same teams like it was a few years ago. Chicago, LA, Boston, Washington, St. Louis. It's Vegas, a young expansion franchise people aren't tired of yet, people don't hate yet, and the Islanders who haven't been there in a while. So I think that would be interesting. I mean, I also predicted the Islanders in seven. I kind of feel the same way as you, where they played Tampa last year. Tampa kind of overpowered them. One thing I noticed with this team, just with playing them in that second round, is they did not alter their game plan at all. They stayed the course the whole way. There was no worry. There was no any, like, they were par for the course. The the fucking what do they call them on the sailboats? The mast. The mast was set yep. in a certain direction, and they didn't alter it. They just kept going, and then finally the winds were blowing their way, and they just took over took over the game. And I think with teams this part of the year, I mean, your identity is huge, and when you alter from it, I think that can affect how you play. And with the Islanders, like we saw it a lot in the Bruins series where. I don't know if the Bruins just showed up for the first period and the Islanders were just kind of lackadaisical or playing it cool, or the Bruins gave it everything they had in the first and then the Islanders just continuing, like, you know, the little train that could, slow and steady wins the race. They shoved it up our ass every second period, that whole series outside of game one, and they just carried on and went on their way. And I just think for a team that can stay par on the course that is huge mentality wise because there's no peaks there's no valleys you're level and now the other part of it is now you got Varlamov in there playing his fucking ass off for you no easy goals he's playing great I like the Islanders too because they were demolishing RD they were yeah. swarming. They're coming in. They're putting pucks deep. And they're making you earn it. Like, that's the biggest thing. Being honest this time of year. Like, you know what? People can say whatever the fuck they want in the sense of how old-time hockey doesn't win. But you know what? Look at the L.A. Kings teams that won Stanley Cups. Yeah, look, at, look at Tampa last year with what their third or fourth line was able to do with Coleman, yeah, they could have went until they got Coleman, uh, Patty Maroon, all those guys. Uh, yeah, so like you need to be thick in this line with Sezikis, Clutterbuck, and fucking Martin. Matt Martin. Like they are relentless. And the other part is like they're gonna hit you. They're gonna hit you hard. They're gonna stay in between the lines. Like they're not gonna get any extras called against you on them. And they're gonna beat the shit out of you. And, and, yeah. and to me, like you said, uh, Headman plays hurt. 
every year this time of year. McDonough, the same thing. McDonough's probably been hurt since fucking February. That, that's just the kind of player Mc, that he Mc, is. McDonough's been hurt ever since that Andrew Ferenc hit against Boston into the end boards. <laughs> like, like he's every year there's an offseason surgery or there's some injury that comes out. There, there's no question about it. And I just think with how big this team has played, there's no moment that is too big for them, too low for them. And what a way it would be for them to close out Nassau Coliseum with a Stanley Cup championship and then going into that new yeah. building. Like, I don't want to say talk of the town be- because we're going to get to what your boys just picked up. But, like, fuck, man, th- that puts them in the conversation. I mean, I will say, so I know the Islanders have been, like, wandering through the desert for a few years here in terms of finding permanent home, moving from Nassau, going to Brooklyn, then splitting between Brooklyn and Nassau, then back to Nassau full-time, and then they get their permanent new arena starting next season. But the the Islanders have a huge fan base in New York. Mm -hmm. Obviously not as well-known or as long of a tenure as the Rangers, but if the Islanders, like you see the Coliseum in the home games ever since fans can come back in. It's a madhouse. Sellouts. Yeah, it's crazy. It's on par with what's going on in Vegas, which, you know what? I give a shit ton of credit to the to fans out in Vegas, even if they only know half of what's going on because they're still learning the game. Like, when you're watching a game, and you and I and everybody else that's ever played, and you see the small little backtrack plays or the stick plays, and the fans cheer, I know it, I don't want it to come off like patronizing, but, like, for a new market, you, you hear the cheers for those things. It's just like, all right, they're not just cheering – at all game, they're not just cheering at everything. and They know when to pick their spots and know when it's the right time to cheer because they just saw something. And I'm like, it's fucking legit. So those would be two great uh, environments to have this Stanley Cup final in, especially when you're kicking off the re- basically the return from COVID um, to showcase the Stanley Cup final in those two barns. And if the Islanders made it to the Cup, it'd be huge. If they won the Stanley Cup, it'd be the biggest thing in New York sports going right now. The Knicks got... I had a surprise season. They got knocked down in five. The Yankees fucking suck. The Mets are doing all right. Like, they do the same thing every year. They start off right, they fade, or they uh, make it to the playoffs, get knocked down in the first round. Football hasn't started yet. Like, the Islanders would run the town, um, especially in June. So, yeah, it would be huge for them. In terms of, like you said, they never got phased. They kept to the game plan. Barry Trotz. All those years in Nashville played this style, and everybody thought it was because they were a small market team. They had to win cheap, and you win cheap by playing defense like the mid-'90s Devils. And then he goes to Washington, ends their Stanley Cup drought, goes to the islands, island, does the same exact thing, turns the Islanders into basically a replica of the Predators, which is a little bit more offensive talent. And he's on the verge of going to the Stanley Cup final with a third team. And I still don't think he gets no respect. And, is it because he doesn't have a neck? I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> but Trot, everybody talks about Babcock as being the, one of the best coaches of this generation. Barry Trotz is the best coach up there. It's Joey Q and then Barry Trotz is the two best coaches I've seen in my lifetime. I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think Scotty Bowman's up there too in our lifetime, but – Outside of that, yeah, I, mean, I guess I guess in my like my cognizant like I know what the fuck is going on. I can critique things lifetime. <laughs> oh no, 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 and that's fair. But no, um, for us, yeah, the, that's those are the two. And yeah, I think one other thing is that 
Barry Trotz's time in Nashville gets lost in the sense yeah. of when, you know, he was there first starting out and, you know, people are questioning this is just a uh, an expansion team and so on and so forth. But, I mean, he's been laying that groundwork there for a while. Yep. Now, question for you just going the other way. If the Lightning do indeed win this series and now yeah. they're back into the Stanley Cup, just looking on what John Cooper has gone through to go there. I mean, he went through Coach Q, goes through Brindamore, goes through Trotz. Trotz here. He has to be he has to be considered one of the best coaches in the league now. There's not a fucking question anymore. Like I think people, he already is. To no, be honest. Like, no, no, probably top three. No, but this is the thing. People always fucking overshoot it. I mean, well, look at the lineup. I could win with that lineup. I mean, we're talking NHL playoffs here. We're, we're not talking NHL regular season game where, you know, shit kind of flies. Like, we're talking seven-game series. Ask Bruce Boudreau if it's easy to win the Stanley Cup. No, I'm just saying, people disregard John Cooper because of the team that he has in front of him. That's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't matter the talent. Like, I think the NHL is the sport where coaching directly correlates to a team's success the most. Baseball... Here's the lineup card. Okay, you got to know when you got to pull a, a pitcher, go to the, uh, go to the bullpen, when a pinch hit, things like that. Th- that's the least impactful. I think after that is football, then it's basketball, and then it's hockey. So for anybody to say like, oh, I can win in front of that team, I mentioned Boudreaux because look at all his talented teams in Washington, all the monster regular seasons they had. Playoffs come around, they wilted. Mm-hmm. So. It's not as simple as saying, oh, I could win with Kucherov, Stamkos, and all those guys because if it was that easy, all you would have to do, especially before the salary cap, why didn't the Rangers win the Stanley Cup every fucking year? Yeah. Like, they had Lindros and Pavel Bore on the same fucking line and they finished in last place. Like, coaching plays a significant role in hockey. So, yeah, if anybody's out there saying Cooper only wins because of their talent, they're fucking idiots. All right, well, thank God because Coop's my boy, so... (laughs) Speaking of uh, coaching and transitioning now, um, it has not officially been announced, but it has been reported from multiple sources that uh, your boy, the big fish in the sea, the one that you were hoping would come behind uh, your other boy, Richards, Gerard Gallant has officially signed with the New York Rangers. Is this a rejoiceful moment in New York? Like, uh, obviously, lineup-wise, it looks like you're bringing back the majority of your superstars. You got some, you know, bottom six things to figure out as to who's going where. But now, I mean, with a coach like Gerard Gallant just coming off of the World Championships gold with Team Canada, I mean, is it looking up in New York? I mean, everyone has loved this guy everywhere he's gone. I haven't heard a bad thing about him from anywhere. Like yeah. when he got gassed in Florida, all the guys weren't really happy about it. Like, how do you think it is in the room? Where do you think the guys are going with this? And obviously it's excitement, but what is the biggest change you think we will see between Gerard Gallant and from what David Quinn had going with them in the last couple of years? Yeah, so that's interesting because the biggest knock on Gallant is he's not the best X's and O's coach like for in-game adjustments, and that was my biggest fucking pet peeve at David Quinn is this is the game plan – Every game for every season, he was a head coach, and no matter what happened, nothing would change. He would just go, we got to get pucks deep. 
We got to shoot the puck. We got to play harder. Okay, great. Play harder. Well, great coaching strategy. So the fact that they hired Gallant, who I think is in a different stratosphere than David Quinn as a head coach, but he's not, he may not be like a huge improvement in that area. The area where he comes in is one, he gives credibility to the whole, we're ready to contend. And Gallant's not signing a four year deal with half that contract being chewed up by, you know, we're going to take it slow and really ease in some of these young guys and see where we're at. You don't bring in Gallant for that purpose. And you see the turnaround that he had. Like he came, he turned around Florida. He he, he's not just a veteran coach either. When he was in Florida, he helped develop Huberdeau. He helped develop Ekblad. He helped develop Barkov. He goes to Vegas and a full expansion team brings that ragtag quote unquote group together. And the thing that was pointed out that I found really interesting is his communication style. So people rave about how he manages the room, how he lets. He figures out what your strong point is and lets you do it. He doesn't try and say, okay, Pavel Buchnevich, Kapo Kako, you guys are penalty killers now because we need you to learn defense. No, they're offensive guys. Let them fucking be offensive. And then you figure out how to strategize and game plan around a deficiency. So you don't try and turn them into a different player. So I think that's really going to come in handy. And to that point, when he was in Florida, he developed or helped develop Barkov, who was at the time like 22 years old. And at the same time, had Yarmir Yager, who was like 42, 43 at the time on his roster. And both guys had great uh, seasons under, under Gallant. So that just speaks to his ability to kind of connect with every single guy in a room because of his communication style. The other big change that's coming to New York is, besides this whole speeding up the rebuild, they are not ever under Gallant going to be a team that sits there and gets stopped at the blue line because... They're trying to stick handle in. And they're gonna let he's gonna let Panarin and do their thing. But there's gonna be some shake up when it comes to what their third and fourth line is gonna look like and what their D is gonna look like. And I don't necessarily see them bringing in like a Ryan Reeves type of guy, but he's definitely not gonna be running out Kevin Rooney and Colin Blackwell on the fourth line. Oh, absolutely not. Be, no. Yeah, they're gonna be getting in and no offense, those guys had nice little years for us and good for them like they earned themselves some money um but there's not going to be brett howden and uh phil di giuseppe and julian gothier on the fourth line or third line he's going to let his stars be his stars like he did in vegas like he did in florida and then he's going to round that out and supplement them with guys that are going to fucking wear you down did the rangers look at a free agent market for that probably uh, Barclay Goodrow is a free agent. I think he'd be a great signing for 4C. You put Morgan Barron, the kid who came up and wanted to fight TJ Oshie on his left wing. I think you have two-thirds of a pretty strong fourth line right there. Uh, but I think that's going to be the biggest change. And I'm actually excited to see what if they don't make a move for like a big 2C or a number one center like an Eichel or Barkov. They just kind of run it back with some minor changes to the edges here on the bottom lines the type of year someone like Filipino will have underneath a coach like Gallant who is going to strategize to his strengths also Kako playing under a coach that's not going to try and turn him into a two-way fucking forward Alexei Lafreniere who like we had the first overall pick and the second overall pick and both guys fucking blew in their rookie years underneath Quinn like it takes a lot of work and effort to play as poorly as those guys did. So 
I'm excited to see those two guys underneath Gallant, but I'm really, really, really excited to see in a system that is going to be geared towards every individual player's strength. And you might not see the best players on the same line. Like, if you see Panarin plays better with Strom and, let's just say, Goodrow. Goodrow, even though he's not a top six forward, he's going to play in that line because he complements those guys. But what the type of year Mika and Panarin are going to have underneath a coach like Gallant after having monster seasons under Quinn, who kept trying to rein him in and force, you know, square pick into a round hole. So 40 goals, 50 goals for Mika. He was on that pace in the shortened season. You never know. So I'm excited. Apparently, uh, Gallant was hired without ever meeting with James Dolan, which is a good sign that this is jury's search and jury's hire. Apparently, rumors were out that he was waiting to see if Sullivan and Brindamore would shake free, but he didn't want to wait too long and lose Gallant, so that's why he moved now. Um, but yeah, this summer, I don't expect major changes, but that they're going to get heavier, and there's going to be no moral victories next year, let's say, with, the, well, you know, the kids are developing. They're either playing well or they're sitting. Like, rebuild's over in New York. Next year, if they don't make the playoffs, massive failure. If they don't make a little bit of a run in the playoffs, failure. That's the outlook that's coming in for New York next year. And, I mean, you, you have a great point, too, in the sense of your team definitely needs to get heavier because if your team, like, say the conferences go back to the way that they were before for next year, like, obviously we're waiting for the season to end. It seems like most places within the United States have lifted all their COVID bans. We're kind of just waiting on Canada to see if it's going to be an all-Canadian division again or what exactly is going to happen but if it goes back to the original Metropolitan Division, I mean, oh yeah, you guys need to be heavier. Have to. Yeah. Uh, Islanders, I mean, the, the Devils always have some meat around with, with Miles Wood. They always got someone. The Capitals, like Carolina, I mean, I know Martin Hook's a free agent, but who knows who ends up there. Like, you guys have to get bigger. And, I mean, I didn't even mention the Flyers either. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then – little side tangent there. You mentioned Carolina. Brindamore's gone. I know it's not official yet, but he's gone. The fact that it took this long to figure out an extension with an owner who meddles a lot, but also is loaded, and he still couldn't figure out, hey, this guy's a really good coach. He says he only wants to coach here. Let's do right by him, and he couldn't get it done. Now his contract's up. Seattle's sitting there waiting for an opening. Everybody thought Gallant was going there. Ronnie Francis, like I said a few episodes ago, is the GM. That's where Rod's going. So Brenda Moore leaves Carolina. Dougie Hamilton, like you sent me that thing about some rumors that Hamilton wants to leave. Martin Oak's a free agent. They still have to figure out their goaltending, even though I know you like the young kid. I, I can't put faith into somebody who's that unproven for a team that wants to win a cup like Carolina. You start looking at their their team makeup a little bit i don't think they're going to be where they are they're going to be where they are this year next season like i think they're a team that's primed for a little bit of a drop off oh if they lose rod like i think that whole dynamic changes so like you have a team right there right now that wants to play for that coach like they want to go out every night and give him everything they have yeah you bring in somebody else i mean that that same mojo is probably not going to be there and yeah, Dougie, hey, why not join him in Seattle? Yeah, and I mean, the, the other part, too, at least with Rod, is, I mean, he, he's played in the league. Like, he, he's won cops. Like, 
he knows what he's talking about. And I don't want to disrespect any of the uh, NHL head coaches here, but, I mean, it, it's hard for guys who have now played in this league to listen to the guys who haven't. The, like, I feel yeah. like part of it's an ego thing. So, depending on who goes in there, I, I think that leaves for a tough trek. And like you said, I mean, Carolina right now is in, well, before the season ended, was in a very good spot. But now if their star defenseman of Dougie Hamilton goes away, their star head coach goes away, they still don't know what to do with goaltending if they don't want to give the reins over to the kid yet and you're still dealing with Peter fucking Morazic who doesn't know left from right and James right like you could go from as high as you were on that mountain like making that trek up to really far down really quick well yeah I mean rewind it back to last summer but when a season ended we had a conversation I said next year is the window for Carolina because we were looking at the upcoming free agency after this season we were looking at Brendan Moore's contract and at the time everybody was like of course he's staying there but until there's pen to paper I always leave it open. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if they waste next season because they're too cheap or they don't want to give up the prospects to bring in a legit goaltender and waste their chance at a Stanley Cup, they're done after that season. And they ran it back. Like you said, Morazic and Reimer, they made almost no changes and they thought they would be able to get through, which was surprising to me after seeing the type of team that Tampa has. And you knew you would have to get through them at some point. And they just ran it back. I feel like they wasted a window because they thought, oh, our window is going to last five years because look how young some of the guys are. And that's not how it works. So even last summer, we were calling out being like, if they if they don't do something in goal, they're going to be fucked. And they wasted that year. Now these guys are gone. If you're not going to pay Brindamore two, three million dollars a year, like some of the other top tier coaches in the league, what makes anybody think the owner's going to pay Dougie Hamilton nine million dollars a year? Yeah. So that's a shame right there. There's a lot of promise when Iona came in. I mean, there is more stability. They have had a few good years. But if Brindamore leaves, Gallant's already hired. Like, they're not hiring Babcock. I don't. I doubt Torch wants to come back so quickly and go to a team like Carolina. Like, who are they bringing in? Like, I, I don't know. I mean... The, Quinn, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I was actually about to say Quinny in the sense of a guy who's lost a job, who wants to come up and... One thing you've referenced is with the kids, David Quinn is one of those guys who can at least develop your kids. He's not going to get you to that place, but but he will have the younger kids going. And, I mean, for someone like Carolina, maybe that's what they need. And, and the last thing on coaching, I know we were going to get into the Bruins and the season wrap up here. Columbus hired Brad Larson to be their head coach. One of the most uninspiring hires in recent memory. And... It's uninspiring because he's basically Tortorella just without the attitude. And I know that's worked well for them, but when you let go of Tortorella, you're basically saying, okay, we're turning the page, we're going to reset, we're going to, you know, they're kind of on a downswing a little bit, we're going to figure some things out, they probably are going to have to trade Seth Jones. Why, like, if you're a casual fan in Columbus, or you're a free agent, and Columbus approaches you, and they're like, hey, play for us. Why? Columbus is already unfairly, in my opinion, considered like a blah city. Their team, their franchise doesn't have a lot of success. 
And now you want me to come in and play for a team that's on a downswing and being coached by Brad Larson. No offense to Larson. He could turn out to be a really good coach. But right now it's like, I'm not going to sign for you guys. Like I'll take a prove a deal somewhere else that's closer to contending. And then if you're a casual fan, you're like, who the fuck is Brad Larson? <laughs> like it doesn't like get to casual fans. And be like, holy shit, I can't believe we got that guy. I'm going to uh, get like a ticket plan. And I bring it back to Quinn there because JD's back in Columbus. And the fact that they chose Larson over David Quinn, who they interviewed, does not give me confidence that Quinn is viewed as an actual head coach in NHL. I'm sure he'll get an associate job somewhere, but that just speaks to kind of the viewpoint around the league of where how they look at David Quinn and the fact that the Rangers had him for three years and it took the owner finally getting involved for things to fucking go down. Because if Gorton was still a GM, Quinn's coming back next year. Um, kind of shows just how how much they misjudged Quinn's potential as a coach in NHL coming from college. Yeah, I mean, coming from college, there have been a lot of flukes in the past couple of years, too. I mean, we saw the Dave Hackstall thing in Philadelphia. That didn't work out. We've seen the David Quinn experiment where I thought it went okay, but it wasn't going to elevate you to the next level. So I've seen... Uh, Nate Lehman, the head coach in Providence, he's won a national championship there. He was just with the USA team that won gold at the World Juniors. Uh, I've seen that he is up for possibly getting the Buffalo job. So hmm, Interesting. I just want to see just one college coach succeed making the jump. <laughs> it's going to happen eventually, you know what I mean? It was like every, in baseball – for years, it was, oh, but Japanese pitchers can't make it in baseball. Uh, it's just too much of an adjustment until it happened. And now nobody bats an eye when a team signs a pitcher who's coming from overseas uh, from Japan because, oh, it's old hat. So eventually, a college coach is going to come in. He's going to have a good run. He's going to win a cup or bring a team to a cup. And then no one's going to bat an eye when another franchise hires a college coach. So th- someone's going to be the first. It could be with Buffalo, but... No, Buffalo's luck. That's not going to be it. <laughs> no, I think one of the hardest things too uh, for NHL teams trying to pick these college coaches is these college coaches get paid very well. Not not NHL money, but they get paid very well. Uh, Hockey East coaches do not have a strenuous amount of travel, so by the end of every night they're at home in their own bed with their kids and their wife. And the other part of it is, you know, you're playing half the schedule. You're not as condensed. You know your games are usually just Friday and Saturday night. Sundays are always off. Monday, you fire fire up the merry-go-round again. I think even if someone has the potential to pick them away from these colleges, it is just the cushiness of that lifestyle getting those guys out of there. Like, those guys do very well for themselves, those college coaches. Yeah, I wouldn't leave. It's like Nick Saban. He left one time, went back to Alabama, and will never leave again. He gets paid good money with, and he he's basically the king on campus. Oh, yeah. I mean, the country club's built in. You, you could probably get a car out of the fucking, uh, out of the dean. So you have those <laughs> two things built in. All right. Well, yeah, my wife needs access to the country club and the swimming pool. So now you get the swimming pool for that and the kids. And I mean, not to mention, too, all the perks for your kids. Like, your kids need a stick. You walk into the stick room. Go get a stick. Your kids yeah. need, like, so it's just, 
it's hard for those guys to leave that lifestyle, and I understand why. That That's all. All right. Now we'll get to the main event of the evening, at least for all of our listeners in the New England area. Your little Bruins postmortem based on how they played against Islanders, and I know we'll have a full off-season preview for both of our teams, but where do you think... I guess I'll ask two or three questions to kind of guide this postmortem. Where do you think the Bruins fell short? Do you think they can remedy that in the offseason? And how much longer do you think this window is open? This window's tight. Um, just, I guess, quick overview of the series. We talked about the Islanders earlier. They stayed par for the course, and they beat us up. They beat us up the right way, and they deserve to win that series. I'm not saying here that we lost as the better team. Uh, there were times where we took play to them, but we didn't get the puck in the net. Wh- whose fault is that? Varlamov's? Like, he, sh- he should have gave us a softy? Like, no. Um, better team won there. Uh, we saw the whole thing with Bruce Cassidy. And, and I will say this, too. In defense of Bruce Cassidy, I mean, for a man who got a $25,000 fine for his referee comments, which were by far the most polite thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, that's bullshit, <laughs> and the NHL needs to re-fucking-evaluate whatever it is they decide they're going to do there. Um, the Islanders beat us up. Our D were hurt. I mean, we needed Kevin Miller badly in that lineup to kind of, excuse me, and kind of offset that fourth line that was going for the Islanders. We needed Brandon Carlo in there. After that Carlo injury, we just kind of fell off the face of the map. Um, going into the offseason, well, I, I guess I'll touch on it too. Tucker Ask, he gets a whole lot of blame here from too many people in Boston. I mean, I, I thought Tuca played good. Um, game six, there, there was two softies he let in, but we're not acknowledging the giveaway right in front of the net that Grizzly had and then the one at the blue line that Grizzly had, like, if, if you want it to be unanimous, I mean, call it the way it is. Like, yeah, he let in a couple softies game six, but at the same time, he got hung out the fucking dry, too. And these people are, Tuca can't play big games, and everyone references 2019 game seven. I watched 2019 game seven. I saw I watched it live. I, I watched it on repeat just because I'm that much of a fucking sicko. But let me tell you something. Game seven of 2019, the Boston Bruins did to the St. Louis Blues what the Vancouver Canucks did to the Boston Bruins in 2011. They came out flying that first 10 minutes, and they gave Jordan Bennington everything he had. And the St. Louis Blues weathered that first 10 minutes, and they found a way to get pucks in, establish their game plan, and get pucks in the net. Like, that goal at the end of the first period... If you're not blaming Brad Marchand, because going into that locker room would be a whole whole lot different. one nothing at the end of one instead of 2 nothing at the end of one of a shit goal you just let up at the end of the period. Yeah. So it's like, call it the way it is. Like, I love Brad Marchand. I, I do. But, I mean, if you're going to tell me that that goal in Game 7 wasn't completely on him, then we're not even watching the same fucking game. We're not. And, and and that's where you have the people who completely hate Tuca, and they just there's no fine line there. They can never give him anything, and I feel like that's one of the biggest things in Boston of the bullshit. There's factor. always a scapegoat. 
There's always the scapegoat, and unfortunately for Tuca, it seems to be him. Uh, going into the offseason, we have a lot of configuring as to whatever it is we're going to do. Uh, day after the season, two days after the season, Tuca Rask comes out. Uh, he has a torn hip labrum. He's going to get surgery. He is out seven to eight months. Now, the Boston Bruins need to decide on the back end what it is they're going to do. Are they rolling with Jeremy Swayman? If they are, they need to bring in a highly qualified backup goalie. Because Nope, I don't want Yarrow back here, and I'll tell you why. Uh, a, too old, and B, not good enough. Uh, Yarrow had a great year last year for us, but this year it was not the same Yarrow that was there. And if we do go to Swayman, the biggest thing is all young goalies have a skid at some point, whether it's a two-week skid or whether it's a month. So we need someone there that can handle the load, whether that whether that be just in the offseason for a couple million dollars a year just to groom a guy. We bring in a Cam Talbot. We bring in a Devin Dubnik. Cam Talbot's perfect for it. Like we, we just need someone that when the waters get rough, that can bring this kid in and kind of you know rub his back a little bit. He's gonna be puking a little bit and bring him back to life. That that's all you need. He needs to puke and rally. What about a uh, a free agent goaltender from Sweden? I would love a free agent goaltender from Sweden, depending on how his heart is. Yeah, can you imagine that though? Like he gets cleared, he comes back like there's. I think that is that is the perfect fit for him. Groom a guy. Hank's older. Hank can still play. Well, I mean, before this hard thing, he could still play. I'm going off of that. And as long as he can still play to the level that he was at for the amount of games we need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now looking at a little bit deeper. Bruce Cassidy comes back? Yes. I, I have no question Bruce Cassidy comes back. Um. There's been a whole lot of heat on Bruce Cassidy with Felger and Maz and these other places saying that the Bruins lost game six because Cassidy did not have the balls to start Swayman over Tuca. And the only thing I have to say is for the way that Tuca was playing, and to me I thought Tuca was playing well, I think it takes a lot to then take that goalie out. Once you make that switch, you have to stick with it. You can't keep going back and forth. Agreed. There's no light switch here. You you make that switch, you stick with it. And now, in a game, like a series-clenching game for the Islanders, we're going to send Swayman out and say he goes out there and he lets two shitters in right off the bat. Now we're fucked and now we're going to Tuca? Makes, yeah. no, makes no sense to me. And I'm liking it to Hank. Like, if the Rangers were facing that situation and let's say they had Shesterkin in the wings, sorry, I'm going down with the guy that has brought me there before. Exactly. I know he may not be 100%, but I trust that he's not going to be phased by the moment. He's not going to collapse under the pressure. If his back gives out or his groin gives out, that's one thing. And then you go to the kid. But I'm riding my franchise goaltender that has, I know not in Hank's case, but won me a cup and has been there through thick and thin until he can't go anymore. That's, yeah, I mean, that doesn't sound too fucking crazy to me, but what do I know? Well, Felger and Madison know fucking jack shit about hockey. They care once a year, and it's always when it turns into late Memorial Day weekend is when they start becoming hockey experts. It's always the, the Tuca blame game. Um, yeah. Now, going into the offseason, we have a lot of UFAs. So depending on what we do, we're going to have a lot of money available. Taylor Hall has already expressed he wants to come back. 
and he will come back at a discount. I'm thinking five years, six and a quarter a year. That would be my offer. He's not going to top that on a market, to be honest. So good deal for him. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think it's crazy. Um, David Krejci, UFA, needs to figure out exactly what he's doing. I give David Krejci two years at four and a quarter a year. I think that is more than fair. He's taken a big hit from his seven and a quarter, but at the same time, we're now talking about a 35, 36-year-old David Krejci going into next year and the year after. Yeah. Um, this is where it gets iffy for me. Mike Riley, I thought he came in, he played well. UFA, depending on what he comes back at, don't know if we can afford him. Well, uh, with Tuka gone, that frees up seven million bucks. Cap space that they probably thought they would have to commit to uh, him. So I, that's. I believe the number somebody said was about eighteen million in cap space. Okay, and that's without Tuka. So eighteen million. So you give ten million of that to Hall and Krejci for your second line. Yep. And then you're going to lose probably Lausman in the expansion draft. Yeah, I'm thinking one of our D is going to go. Um, when we look at the other part of it, like into the RFAs, we got Andre Kacha RFA, Nick Ritchie RFA. I don't know what to do with either of them. Kacha's been hurt, yeah. so there's no real evaluation there as to what is he exactly for us. I don't know. Uh, Nick Ritchie came in. He had a great hot start to the season, fizzled out quickly, and then... I mean, did nothing for us in the playoffs. For a guy of his size and stature, should have been roughing up more, doing more. Um, Trent Frederick, another guy, RFA, didn't play enough this year for me to give a fair evaluation. The games he played, I thought there were some games where he was really good, and then I thought there were some games he was really bad. I think he should be penciled in for some role in your fourth line to start the year. He, he should be. He should be. Um, now, going to the backside, Mike Riley, UFA, I think he's going to cash in somewhere for a little bit more. He was only at one and a half, or that's what we had him on the books for. I don't know if Ottawa held anything, but I mean, he's probably going to get about three million bucks a year somewhere, if not a little bit more. We have Kevin Miller, who we had him for one and a quarter. I have no problem bringing Kevin Miller back here for what he did for us. Um, played his role. He played it well. We have John Moore, who is continuously hurt at the end of every year, and it's hard for him to step into a role where he doesn't play at all, and then when someone gets hurt, he's expected to step up, play a good role, and then once he has a shit game, he's out of the lineup completely. And okay, you know what? That That's fine. Things happen. But for $2.75 million a year, Get yeah, rid of him. Too much. Like, like we can find that from someone in Providence. That that that's kind of. He's he's the type of guy that gets a two way contract at this stage of his career. Yeah, just uh, I'm done with that. I, I don't know where it goes. So now, this is my take. I don't know what yours is. We need to shop Brandon Carlo. Ooh, okay. Because of his injury history. Yes. Can't trust him anymore, dude. That that's. Three, if not four, concussions in the past three years. So what would you... The whole league knows that, though. So Exactly. And we're not going to get anything. But now he's so RFA. Is it, is it worth it? Well, he's RFA, so what do you lock him in at? You're going to give him a fucking massive contract for him to not even be able to finish it out, and we got to play the long-term IR game every year? Like, so I, I'm not about that. one-year deal. One uh, year, $3 million. 
20 year, $4 million, something like that. Yeah, for, for something like something. that, I, I'm okay with. But I just think with long-term value, I mean, he, he doesn't have it. Um, Jake DeBrusque needs to go. Gone. See you later. Yeah. Just give me a second-round pick. I'm okay with it. Um, Charlie you know Coyle. Who target is for you, though? Who you got? I think Grizzly can't be a first-pair left-side defenseman. No, I agree. I agree. So he... I think if you move him down to play that crew role with Carlo, Carlo's on a one-year deal, see if he stays healthy. Even if he does stay healthy, at least he rebuilds his value so you can uh, make a decision on him either at the deadline or next summer. That slots everybody else down from the second pair to the third pair. I don't know what the cost is going to be. I don't think it'll be too much. I think I would, like, if I'm the Bruins, I would love to run Alec Martinez out there with McAvoy. That would be nice. That that would be nice. Uh, I'm just, just like spitfiring. I mean, we need DeBrusque gone. And the other person we need gone bad is Charlie Coyle. Oh, wow. Okay. This fucking guy for five and a quarter a year. Five yeah, and a fucking odd. quarter a year can't give us shit. And if David Krejci doesn't resign, that's your second line center if you're penciling in. No. Yeah. Not good enough. Not good enough in the least. Um another one, I mean, Sean Corrales, UFA. See you later. Have a nice go. Uh yeah. another UFA, well, not even UFA. We we signed him for one point three five for a couple more Chris Wagner, see you later. Awful mm. this year. Absolutely dog shit. Um, I think the Bruins need to find ways to get creative to get certain guys out of this lineup. Obviously, one guy's not going to be here due to the expansion draft. I mean, shocker. That's going to be for every team around the league. But the Bruins need to find other ways to get creative. And whether it's getting young prospects for Jake DeBrusque, whether it's just getting draft picks, whether it's shipping Chris Wagner out for another fourth-line guy, maybe a little bit meatier guy because we got beat up a little bit. Like, we need to figure out exactly where we stand. And to me, this should be Don Sweeney's last season. If nothing comes to fruition here, if he is not creative in bringing new faces in here, getting rid of players, just trying to build from within, Don Sweeney can go. Done with him. Okay. So that, that that's it's just a good run, of, man. It, it's been a good run, and, and I think the window can stay open if we bring back our top six, and then obviously on, on certain contracts, which need to be the case, we can't have Charlie Coyle be our two C. That that's just that's non-negotiable. Like you know, like no butt stuff. Like that's no butt stuff right there. Like non-negotiable. So you, you could probably get like a decent return for Coyle because he's still young enough. He's a righty shot. He can play two positions up front, like some team will look at him and go, if we put him on a third line, basically how Boston looked at him when he, you got traded for him. Yeah, and then we gave him that fucking deal, like jackasses. Like, this is my only thing, too. I mean, is he damaged goods at this point? This would be his fourth NHL team. If we trade him, he's going to somewhere for his fourth NHL team. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. Um, Yeah, like I said, we'll get into it in even more detail. Uh, come early July, everything else, and we'll we'll do like a mock expansion draft for Seattle. We'll both draft teams and see where we go for the Kraken. Uh, but the NHL, because of the condensed schedule, they're announcing the individual awards during 
the semifinals and the Stanley Cup finals. So we wanted to get in our thoughts, well, our predictions. We're not going to go into like great detail here on our picks for each award. That that reminds me, the thing that I texted you when the Islanders knocked you guys out, and I said, "Remind me to bitch about NBC on our next podcast." You did. And the reason why the I'm going to remind you, bitch about NBC <laughs> right now. The reason why I want to bitch about it is they have a graphic on there that says Islanders are uh, first time the Islanders are going to back-to-back semifinals since I think like 85, 86. It's not the semifinals. I know that's what it's called this year because of the whole divisional shakeup because of COVID. But last year, it was the conference final. It is never called the semifinal. The round they just beat Boston in is the semifinal in the playoff format of the NHL. And you would think after almost 15 fucking years of being a partner with this sport, they would understand the fucking playoff format. That's my rant. Anyway, let's get into the awards. All right. Um, hold on. Let me pull up my notes page. Wh- which award do you want to start with? Let's go Jack Adams. All right, perfect. I, I was actually hoping you said because that was the first one I had pulled up and we could scroll up. So for the <laughs> Jack Adams Award this year, we have the three finalists, Rod Brindamore, Dean Everson, and Joel Quenville. Who you got? Dean Everson, just because uh, lower expectations, even though I had them making the playoffs. Yeah, you were high on them. I was high on them. Uh, it was good to be right once every ten times. <laughs> uh but, yeah, from the team that he had, even though I thought they would play well, I had an even better regular season than I thought they would. Uh, they had a nice little playoff uh, performance. So I think he gets it. You look at Brindamore, Carolina was expected to be good. And, yeah, he is a good coach. But just like Joe Torrey with the Yankees or even Terry Francona of the Red Sox, you get penalized even if you're a good coach and did a good job if you were expected to do good. And I think that's what happens with Brindamore. And Quenville is going to come in second in my mind because Florida was that wild card team in terms of like, are they going to be good? Because everybody says they're going to be good and then they flop or they're going to be bad. And Quenville kind of straightened the, sh- the ship um, and had them have a, one of the franchise's best years in their history. So I think Quenville will get a lot of votes, but I'm going with Everson. I'm going with Everson too. Uh, I think Quenville comes too. And the thing with Quenville, like you said, was – we didn't know what we were going to get out of Florida. But we didn't know if it was going to be the same old Florida where they're good enough on paper and don't make the dance, or they finally make it. And I think if they didn't make the dance, then Quenville's in the hot seat. I think you get two separate things there for a coach of his caliber. But, no, uh, Everson, I didn't think he had the lineup that you thought he did. I didn't think he had the talent. And uh, from, obviously, what was placed a long-time assistant in the NHL, and, I mean, the players came. They, they gave it for him. So, yeah, th- that's my guy. All right, who we got next in the scroll? I got next in the scroll is the Selkie Award uh, finalist this year, Alexander Barkov, Patrice Bergeron, and Mark Stone. I already know where you're going. I feel like it's going to be renamed the Patrice Bergeron Award when he's done. I want, I think Barkov should win it. And I look at his advanced stats, and I look at the impact he had. He had an even—I know it's for the best defensive forward, but when you look at the defensive production he gave the Panthers, as well as the offensive production and carrying his line, he was paired with Anthony Duclair and Carter Verhage most of the year, turned them into legit top six forwards, and was still the centerpiece of Florida's uh, 
defensive game. I think he should win it. I think the voters are going to give DeMarc Stone as like a lifetime achievement award. <laughs> a lifetime achievement award. I like that. It's like um, what they did with Drew Doughty. They finally gave it to Doughty because like, oh, he, he probably should have won already, so let's just give it to him. It's hard for me to not be a homer here. Yeah. I I do think it should be Barkoff's trophy this year. I did not see, like you said, the counterpart of Duclair and Verhage for the output that those guys had and then for the amount of work that Barkov had to do. I mean, you talk about a guy that's grinding in the corners, getting pucks out, getting chances for his guys. Like, it starts in one end, it ends up in the other end. Like, always gets the puck out, no turnovers, just a smart player. I love Patrice Bergeron. This trophy should be named the Patrice Bergeron Trophy at this point. I mean, I know, um, oh my God, who the fuck was the guy from Montreal? It wasn't Guy Carboneau. Kirk Muller? <laughs> no, there, there, there was a guy that won it three times just like Bergie did. But, I mean, Bergie's been a finalist now for this trophy ten years in a row. Yeah. Ten years. That's insanity. Like, that's fucking crazy. So, put some respect on Patrice's name. And just for the homerist part of it, I got to go Patrice on that. That That's all. What are we talking about? So, how recent are we trying to figure out? I'm trying to run through my brain, a Montreal guy. Is it, like, in our lifetimes or before? Uh, he's a little bit before. Like, it's going to piss me off because I I know who it is, and I'm going to have to, like, read up on it. And... I was going to joke about, like, Saku Koibu? <laughs> no, I just, oh, my God, that's going to drive me crazy. Um, Vincent Campus? <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll Google it while we're doing this one. But, uh, uh... What have we got next? Calder Cup Trophy this year. We have... Kirill Kaprizov, uh, I'm sorry, just the Calder Trophy. <laughs> I like the Calder Cup, though. Calder Trophy, we have Kirill Kaprizov, Alex Nedeljkovic, and Jason Robertson. Who you got? It's Kaprizov in a runaway. I don't even think it's worth discussing further. <laughs> I agree. I think Robertson kind of came on too late to make it um, full on for his own thing. But, yeah, no, I, I just think Kirill had done it from the absolute get-go. There, there was no question on as to if or when or any of that. It was just yeah. he, he has been that good for that long. I'm going to guess our next one is going to be Norris. Uh, I'm just scrolling up here. Oh, and it was Bob Gainey. That's what I was thinking of. Bob Gainey, that fuck with the Dallas Stars GM. Yeah. Uh, we can do Norris. I was scrolling up. I had the Hart Trophy before, but I'll just scroll down. So, Norris Trophy Award uh, finalists this year, Adam Fox, Victor Hedman, and Kale McCarr. So, it's, it ha- it should be Adam Fox. And I know everybody's going to think I'm a homer for that. But you look at his overall two-way game, everybody thought he would just be an offensive defenseman. Yeah, he's not the physical presence on the back end. He's not a Chris Pronger. But... When you watch him play as consistently as I did or scouts did or the writers that are gonna, and coaches that are going to be voting, there's so many little things every single game. He's always in the right position. You, If you look at every single game he's ever played in his career as a Ranger, you've never, you'll never see a highlight where the guy burns him. You'll never see a highlight where he makes a play, a dangerous play, or uh, like a bonehead play that leads to a, even just a scoring chance. He's a machine back there. He makes the right play every single time. Um, he one of the top scorers on the back end as well. I think his overall two-way game is, sorry to say, everybody, 
much further advanced than Kale McCarr at this point. I think McCarr is going to get there eventually. He's not going to be an Eric Carlson, but I think defensively Fox bests him. And Hedman, I don't think he just had Hedman's Hedman, but I don't think he had as consistent a year, which is kind of an intangible cop-out. But just the level of play was a little bit of a drop-off. And I think when that happens, you open up the window for someone new to win the award. And I think if it comes down to McCarr and Fox, it should be. And be Fox, I have a feeling they're going to vote for McCarr, though. I have a feeling they're voting for McCarr, too. I'm with you, though, for Fox. If you look up lineups, just who McCarr had, who Hedman had, and who Fox had, I think all that has to be brought into consideration. Yeah. I, I think for the slow start that the Rangers had, Fox was consistent, and Zabanajad was out. And then yep. you go further into the year, and then Panarin was, Panarin out. was out. So I, I just think, for me, I like what Fox did consistently as opposed to who he had in the lineup. He was just one staple back there, and... You're right, man. Like that, that kid's fucking silky. Like he is smooth. Yeah. Makes it, and he again, he's not going to be flashy. He's not Makar who's going to lead the rush. He does it every once in a while. Like he had a goal earlier this year where it was Bobby Orr esque, but that's like a rarity. He's not going to be Makar where he's going to electrify the crowd. He's going to get the puck by using his stick. He's going to make the right play, and he's going to make the right headman pass that's going to lead to a scoring chance or a goal. And then that's how he racks up his points. And that's how he racks up his offensive game. He's the modern, he's the prototype of the modern NHL defenseman. He's not a goon. He's not incredibly fast and small where he can't play defense. He can he can do everything well, but understated. And I think that's what should get him there. If he doesn't win it this year, he'll get it at some point in his career. So probably after Hedman retires? Oh, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> They're always going to give it to McCarr because everybody loves sucking Colorado's dick. <laughs> Uh, Hart Trophy finalists this year, <laughs> Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews, and Connor McDavid. Uh, gee, let's see. This is the same level as a complete off pick. It's going to be McDavid just because of the offensive year he had. I still, uh, I still think they should have a separate award for best offensive forward, just like they have the Selkie award because yes, he brought Edmonton to the, uh, playoffs. And yes, when he was on the ice, there was like a 90% swing in terms of expected goals for when he was off the ice. Edmonton was the second worst team in the league when he was on the ice. They were the eighth best. So he was extremely valuable. I still give it, I would still give it to McKinnon. I know that's a rarity. He's probably going to win unanimously, McDavid. Um, but I would give it to McKinnon just because even like Landis Cog, he's good. He's not a top line, like he's not a franchise guy. Rantanen has kind of settled into that tier, like below a Pasternak. He's not a franchise guy. So you look at who can break the game open, who can play the better defensively, who can be put out in every situation in every single game of the year, including a game seven of a Stanley Cup final. That's McKinnon. So that's why I think he's MVP. I know McDavid is going to win it. I think McDavid has to win it just off of the. Uh year he had the amount of points that were pushed out was absolute insanity um it, it sucks too because austin matthews had a year like that yeah. guy carried toronto and to me i i almost feel like the heart trophy is partially like the norris nowadays where the norris should be two trophies the best defensive defenseman and the best offensive defenseman i think that yeah. it needs to be split and i feel like just because mcdavid had the most points this is 
the person who was the most valuable player to their team. And that's where you can have yeah. the argument here with, you know, McDavid, because, you know, granted, Dreisaitl was pretty close in points to him, but Austin took Toronto on his back and brought him there. I, I will say, I don't want to get into this long tangent over wrapping up. Is Austin Matthews a center long term? Or is he better off on the left side? Because mm-hmm. he's he's going to get his 40 goals a year. But to be honest, he's always 40 goals, 30 assists. 45 goals, 25 assists. He's a goal scorer. He's a sniper. And that's great. Like He's one of the best goal scorers in the league. But does he elevate the play of his line mates as a centerman? Or is he better suited to be on a wing? Or does that mean he should always be paired with a guy like Marner, who's the silky smooth assist guy? Fuck, that's a tough question. Like, and if you move him to the wing, he loses a ton of value in terms of like roster construction. Because then you can always find like a good winger to play shotgun on your first line. You can't always find a franchise centerman. So if you move him off his center, now you have a big, pretty big fucking hole. I mean, can you just lie though after and say that he's a franchise winger just so you can save money on the cap, or is that <laughs> not a? Yeah, it's not the NFL where they go by position. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, just worth a shot. I figured I'd throw it out there. But, yeah, that I'm, I want to see how that develops over like the next two, three years, especially as Toronto keeps edging up against the cap and see what, what roster construction decisions are made. But, uh, anyway, awards are over with. Um, who do you got for shout-outs? Shout-outs this week. Tonight, the night that we are recording, on June 15th in 2011, I had 2011. 2011. So ten years so ago today, ago, the Bruins won the the first Stanley Cup in, in my livelihood. And my God, did we party that night? <laughs> I I re reproposed to Red. Um, <laughs> we we were down in Phil's basement. Shout out Fast Phil. Shout out Lizzie's ice cream. With just oh my God. Me, Phil, Redder, Mainzy, Stratty, Kyle, Brenna, like Bobo, you go down the list. We were all there. And um fuck man, th- that summer was just incredible. You like you wanna talk about like the living carefree and Sagan. Oh the the yeah, I was gonna say I think those are the only two people who had a better summer than we did. But like <laughs> Oh, my God, man. Like, we were down there for every game, Hanrahan, even fucking fat Nick Lorenza. Like, we, we, we were all down there. Like, oh, we went into Boston that night. Like, it was – that summer was great. When you could live carefree, when you used to be able to party and show up to work the next morning, like, nothing fucking happened. Like, those were the days, man. Like, yeah. Yeah, that, that was – I watched that game seven with – uh, multi-time guest host Michael Paul and Saldi. I was at his place in Newton, Massachusetts. I was watching it with uh, Renee, uh, our friend Phil, a couple other people, and uh, that was the year where I I was adopted into the Bruins family because once the Rangers were done, and at that point they were done, done. I was just like, all right, Bruins, let's do this shit for you guys. Get one in your lifetime, or at least you can bank one in your lifetime. And uh, it was great being a part of it. Mike and I smoked some stogies after the game, which we've been saving since freshman year of college. Like, when one of our teams wins, we're going to smoke these. <laughs> yeah. No, so it, that was a fun summer to be living in Boston. Yeah, no, it, it was incredible. Uh, just the whole ride in itself. I mean, it, you go back to that whole thing where you go to the first round and 
we're down 0-2 going to Montreal. And then we come back tied at two. Well, Michael Ryder, that motherfucker, scoring a goal. The only time he's ever heard me said good things about him for that quick goal he scored in the second overtime. Just pass right across, bang, pops it right in. Nathan Horton there. Oh, my God. Just uh, You were with us for uh, the, the Tampa Bay round where we got shithoused at that bar in Newburyport. Yep. Like, oh, uh, who else was there? Kyle and Brenna and Stratty when we went on to the boat. Bunnies, nope. We yep. come back from the boat and we run to legal harborside right at the aquarium. <laughs> Fucking shithouse, dude. And I walk in and that was on uh, the Toby Keats song was on the radio. Like, pour me a button and a shot of black label. So I turn to the bar, the bartender at legal seafood. And I'm like, pour me a button and a shot of black label. He goes, well, we don't do shots. Like, then pour me the fucking bud, pal. Like, let's go. Oh my God. Like, what a great summer. Like, insanity. But yeah, 10 years ago today, remember it like it was yesterday. That was a uh, that was a fun summer. That was a long one. It, it probably could have put years on our life, depending on how uh, Game 7 ended there. So I'm happy yeah. it ended for the good guys and all a good celebration. But uh, who yeah, you got for Yesterday sure? was 27 years since the Rangers won their last Stanley Cup, so I'm starting to get up there in age here. Yeah, I was going to say, you are like, What the fuck's going on, man? Oh, my God. Who do you got for uh, shout-outs? I... Shout out overall, New York City. We hit the 70% vaccination threshold, which means the entire state of New York, there are no more COVID restrictions. None. That means no mask mandate, no indoor capacity limits, no social distancing requirements, no quarantine if you travel and you return back to New York. Over with. So, and they have, they're actually starting right now, they're having like a firework display in the harbor of New York to celebrate. Um, basically after, was it a year and three months, uh, we're finally over to COVID hump. Uh, so took, they told us 12 days, it took 15 months, but we're here. <laughs> yeah. Started from the bottom now. Yeah. <laughs> so that, and also a quick shout out, uh, I'm stealing your thunder a little bit here, but shout out to your little man. Oh, it, it was... Oh, fuck. Yeah, now I feel like an awful father. Um, yeah, Cammy graduated from uh, preschool. Monday they did this big ceremony, so he'll be going into first grade next year. And Yeah, man, it, it, it's wild. I, I was talking to Bobo earlier. We were just kind of shooting the shit uh, over, his, over the weekend. His cousin Mikey had gotten married, and I was just kind of checking in to see how all that was. And... You know how conversations start wandering, and it's yeah. like, he's, you know, the kids come up, and he brought up the same thing. Like, oh, I saw the cannibal, you know, graduated kindergarten. I'm like, and he's like, you know, I feel like just yesterday he was born. I'm like, fuck, man, me too. And <laughs> it, it, it's one of those weird things where people always say, like, don't blink, or, you know, you don't know how fast it goes. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's like, for someone like myself who was in the thick of it with two of them where one day it's soccer practice, one day it's gymnastics, and then we're here, and then we're there, and then you're like, fuck, it's a birthday. Like, he's six, she's going to be four. Like, he's going to be in kindergarten, she has one more year, and then she'll be in pre- uh, she'll be in kindergarten next fall. It's like, where does the fucking time go? Like, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah I mean, I remember I met him when he was, like, three or four months old, I came up and visited Boston 
and I was like holding them and everything else. And then the next time I visited, because you know my whole nomad lifestyle, I came back and he was already like walking and he was like climbing all over me. And then every time I visited since then, I've kind of, without red knowing, kind of it's been sneaking in more of our rebellious side of. Hey, you want to watch some wrestling? You want to uh, practice, <laughs> yeah, practice on your sister? Play in the seeds. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you want to come outside with us while we record here and say some curse words? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was funny that, that you bring up the other day about the wrestling because the other day at soccer, when he was done, he had come over with his water bottle, so he kind of had his arms up, and Emma just like full on speared him and like just <laughs> took him down, and I was like. That that one got a future. She's going to be mean at some point. Yeah, Emma is going to be a handful. It, it's not going to be pal. That that's that's current tense. She is a handful. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh fuck. But uh, yeah, that's it for me on shoutouts. Ah well, everybody, thank you as always. We will keep you updated on this series at some point. I mean, we'll probably not the Vegas one because that'll be over before you know it. But maybe the uh, Islanders. Uh, Tampa one will give you one last touch on that before we go yeah, to we our Stanley Cup preview. Back into a rhythm, right? We've been trying, pal. It's just you know days have been messed up and here, there, everywhere. But you're right. We need the rhythm. We need the rhythm of the night. We'll catch y'all soon. my life.